You guys can have a seat. Welcome back. It's great to see all of you. I hope that you've had a uh, wonderful day after Christmas. First things first, tonight we need to hand out some cash. I need some uh, volunteers here. John, could you come up here? Yeah, Brenna, come on up here. I need uh, Doug, come on up here. Uh, Rick Maxiden is a visitor tonight. Can you come help me, Rick, here for a second? Everybody needs one of these, okay? Dollar bills, y'all, all all right? We're going to hand out some cash here. Don't pocket this. You're going to need this tonight, okay? So don't get all, all excited that all of a sudden you have a dollar bill to your name, all right? Go ahead and pass that out. You've got to unfold that, all right? If tonight's your first time here, welcome. We hand out cash here if you come. It's great to have you. We'll hopefully see you next week. Next week is $20 bills. Uh, seriously, I hope you've had a great Christmas. Make sure you raise your hand if you don't have one of these. And uh, for those of you guys passing out, I need the extras, all right? Don't even think about throwing those in your purse or something. As Jason has alluded to tonight, um, poignantly after a day where we... Uh, Give and where we get. Hey, what, you guys having a little moment right here? You guys, come on up. I mean, we can hug all night long. It'll be great. Thank you. Thank you. That's a pretty nice uh, wad of cash there. On a day when we uh, give and we get a lot, it's interesting that tonight we're going to be wrestling with um, greed and how you and I deal with our financial resources. And um, I realized tonight that when you start talking about your money, and how you deal with it and how you manage it, that we're going, to be, we're going to be dealing with some of the depths of who you are and some of the depths of who I am. And so I'm just going to ask for all of you guys along with me as you hold that dollar bill in your hand tonight that we're just able to be honest with one another. Is that okay? They're able to teach the Word, to extrapolate what Jesus is saying in this story and that we're able to deal with a huge issue in our culture and that's simply how we deal with our money. Uh, there's uh, on the television, the TV, if you're good with acronyms, um, we have some extra. Okay, you're out. Sonia, check his pocket. Thanks. On the television, there's this there's this um, situational comedy. Is that what sitcom means? Okay, I was taking a stab at it there. There's this comedy called um, The Office. Have any of you guys ever heard of this? A few of you? Yeah. For those of you that haven't, you've been living in a cave and you need to come out. Okay, just walk on out. It's okay. It's not scary out here. All right. The Office is an amazing show, um, probably one of my favorite shows ever. And the whole show is based upon awkward moments, okay? In fact, it's so awkward at times. Uh, for those of you guys who know the episode, it's the wedding where uh, uh, Steve Carell has to walk, you know. I mean, there's certain episodes where it's so awkward and so random that you don't even want to watch it. I mean, you're just like embarrassed for the characters. You're just like, I can't. During, that, during one of these episodes, I'm literally, Heidi looks over and my face is covered with my hands. I'm like, I can't. I'm like crying. It's all emotional. It was crazy. But... Uh, tonight, it's, it's great because in Scripture, uh, often provides us a great amount of humor. And we get to see one of those very random, awkward moments tonight in the Scripture. So if you could, please, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. If tonight is your first time here, we have been journeying through the Gospel of Luke for about nine months now. And we're in chapter 12. And um, Luke is a, is a, is a very um, purposeful Gospel that is written to a Roman official named Theophilus. And Luke, in this entire gospel, is making his case to this Roman official for the reality of Jesus. And so I'm sure you can agree with me the power that that provides for you and I here tonight as we listen in on Luke's take on the reality of Christ. Verse 13 says this, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, at first glance, you're like, how is this completely random? Let me explain. 
Jesus has just got has just got done teaching the disciples and the crowds around that they need to not fear anyone who can kill the body, but they need to fear one who can send you to hell. Okay, those are his exact words. So can you agree with me that we're coming off a little bit of an intense teaching? I mean, Jesus is diving in. He's telling the disciples, look, 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 don't fear men. If you want to please men, you will end up completely separated from me. What you need to do is please me. And then all of a sudden we have random McGee who's in the crowd. And it's just like all of a sudden he's one of those guys. He just raised his hand. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But uh, Jesus, could you uh, figure out my inheritance issues for me? You know, is anyone, like this is completely random. Jesus just got the melting face all over the place. This guy's like, yeah, uh, inheritance issues right here. You know, check, please. Can we figure this out? I mean, it's completely and utterly random. And so Jesus responds to this guy, um, man. Who pointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I don't, I don't think this is like, the, like our slang when we say man. Um, but what Jesus says is, who appointed me a judge? Which is also interesting, isn't it? Because in the passage last, or two weeks ago, we see Jesus saying that he has the power. He holds like, e- people's eternities in their hands. And then here he's saying, like, like, who made me a judge or an arbiter between your inheritance issues? I love Jesus. Amen. Because he... Um, he stays completely focused at all times on the task at hand. He stays completely focused at all times on the mission. He's come to live and he's come to teach people what it means to glorify the Father in everything. And friends, he's come to die and he's come to be raised from the dead and he's come to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's why he's come and never for a second, never for a second does he get confused about that. I've told you guys time and time again that after Jesus turns from Galilee, which is in northern Israel, to to the south, all right, when he turns to to Jerusalem, it is so purposeful. Every word, every story, every interaction, friends, is all about his purpose and his mission. So here's like, listen, listen, listen. I don't have time, even though it's typical of rabbis to act in, in judiciary acts like this sometimes, I don't have time to sit and just, and just make this inheritance issue right. What I have time to do, though, is I have time to judge the hearts of men. What I have time to do and what he's going to show us is I have time to call out the sin that you're struggling with. I have time to do that. But, but everything else, like I'm completely focused on my mission and my purpose. Friends, I'm wondering, like you guys know that vision that he gave you, Right? It was like that one night when you were thinking all kinds of weird things and you're writing in your journal and God just gave you that sense like, I need to do this for Him. And it seemed completely crazy and outrageous. Jeff, Jason and I, two and a half years ago, three years ago, three and a half years ago, that, that one day was like, you guys need to be a part of a church plant. And it seems crazy, right? And your wives tell you you're crazy, right? Like over and over. But I just want to encourage you guys that to be Christ-like, is to follow wholeheartedly with that vision that he's put in your, in your heart. For some of you guys, it's, it's to sell everything and to go overseas. For others of you, it's, it's to get out of a relationship. Uh, for others of you, it's, it's, it's to get into a relationship. For others of you, it's to focus completely on your studies. Whatever it may be, friends. Like, I'm wondering if tonight, if we can just learn from Jesus' example and get back focused on the specific thing that he's called you to do as a part of the body. Scripture over and over talks about the church as a body. And if, like, we have an ingrown big toe, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to affect the rest of the body. So don't be that guy. Or female. Have you. All right. 
Jesus continues on here. Look at this. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And friends, this, this next line is one of those lines in the gospel that, that you just, when you th- think about and hear Jesus saying it, it just brings so much focus. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So he's like, hey, 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 random McGee question, boy. Like, that's a great question. But rather than waste my time there, why don't I just go ahead and call out what you're struggling with? And see, we're not really sure uh, what this guy's issue is because in the Old Testament, even with Jacob and Esau, it's Jewish culture that the older son, the eldest son, would get a greater portion of the inheritance. So this guy's question may be completely legit. We're not sure. But what we do know is that Jesus looks right through and he calls out, he calls out greed. Your question, your motive is spurring something else inside of you. Your issue isn't a, a debacle over an inheritance. Your issue is, is greed. Listen to this. The definition of greed from Webster's Dictionary, which I read often daily, is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. Which, can we just pause for a moment? Our definitions of needed have become so skewed in American culture. It's become to the point where greed is just normalcy. So we're never able to point it out. We're never able to really put our hands around it because our definition of need has gotten completely confused and skewed. Like we think that we need X, Y, Z when it has nothing to do with the purpose and mission that he's called you to do. That's, that's what greed is. It's that going after of something more and more and more. What's interesting about America is the average income, the median income of America is $32,000. There's some of you in here who are way higher than that. There's some of you that are way lower than that. And tonight is not a teaching to like, if, you're, if you have a lot of cash, we're like calling you out to, to be rich. Or if you don't have a, if you don't have a lot of money, that, that this message is going to be geared. No, no, like... We're all on an equal playing field in the essence of the heart. We're all poor and needy, right? The psalmist says in in Psalm chapter 40, verse 17, he says, yet I am poor and needy. And so tonight is not about like looking at 32,000 as the median income of America and realizing that for every dollar that Americans uh, have, they spend a dollar 22, Does that make sense? 43% of Americans in today's culture are buying more than they have. They're spending more than they have. And that's not including mortgages. We're spending $1.22 for every dollar that we have. We're seeing things and we're instantly drawn to them. Listen to this. Believing that some of these things have something to offer us. And and the struggles in Jesus' day... We're no different. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. All of these things that you think you need, friends, listen to this. There is no life in them. And what Jesus keeps bringing this teaching back to through the entire gospel of Luke is life is found in me. You're like, oh, Mark, that's, that's all great and all, but I need to provide for my family. Yeah, that's great. Praise God. In fact, if you're a husband in here, It is your biblical duty to provide for your family. 
But again, provide and provision, if we were to ask all of these people in this room what that means, I think that we would all have a lot of different definitions. Well, for me, it's, it's, it's this. I need to provide for my family in this way so that we're all nice and careful and comfortable. But, and, but no, 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 you're completely wrong. For me, it's sell everything and go live in the shack somewhere. We're all on different playing fields in our views of provision and need. But friends, I believe that we're going to get to a point where we're all all of a sudden come to the same playing field. Let's continue on here. Verse 16. And then he told them this parable, which a parable in the scriptures is a time when Jesus shifts gears and he, he, he brings a story in to better explain what he's talking about. He has just said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There's no life there. And then he, then he goes into this amazing parable, into this amazing story. Uh, verse 15, or verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, I'm not going to claim to be a farmer. I'm thankful tonight my father is, is in the house tonight. Uh, and he's a farmer. In fact, he's a, a manager of a farm service company. Okay, so he understands farming much better than I do. Uh, but, but, but what I know is that this guy is, is, is dealing with the fact that all of a sudden he's been blessed with this great crop. How were the crops this year, Dad? Were they good, bad, fair? Okay, then out of the head, not too bad. Good, good corn. How many bushels an acre? What, like 30, 40? Silence. Huh? That shows how much I know. Okay. 140 bushels an acre. I have no idea even what an acre is. I think it's some term of measurement. What shall I do? He says, I have no place to store my... I have so much crop. Like, I don't even know where to put it. Like, I have so much stuff. I just don't... I have no idea even where to land all of this crop. And then he said, remember, this is a story that Jesus is sharing. Then he said, this is what I'll do. And, and you'll notice as this parable goes along... That, that this guy is all about him. He says, now I know what I'll do. And I don't know where to put my crop. And I don't know what to do for myself. He says this. He says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Yeah, yeah. phenomenal idea. I have too much grain. Or too much crops. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to tear down all my barns, which will be a phenomenal site. And then I'm going to build bigger ones so that i continue so that i can continue to collect and bring to myself all of this wealth so that i continue to give myself something that i think i need a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions the thread of this entire story is as great as a big barn is with a lot of crops in there is no life in it come on there's no life in it friends as much as you think your house, like the walls talk, right? And sometimes at night it gets a little creepy. Let me tell you something. There's no life in that house. Life is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Um, the, the thing, uh, college students, like the, the newest, like the, the 25,000 gig iPod, right? That's, that's popular this Christmas. It can hold like a billion songs or something. As great as you think those songs are. Friends, let me tell you something. There is no life in that little piece of equipment. But in our, in our American culture, we, it's become normal to see these things as life-giving things. And listen to this. Have you ever gone shopping for comfort? Have you ever thought to yourself, I need to, I need to reward myself right now. And so what I'm going to do is, I, I don't have the money, but it's okay. I've got a credit card, no problem. 
I'm going to go out and, and to buy this shirt just makes me feel better about myself. Friends, what's our issue? Like, what's our problem? We're seeing life in things that have no life at all. We're seeing and looking around at all of these things and saying, no, 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 this has life. And what are we as Christians communicating to America? Even the American church, what are we saying? Even us as Christians, we're saying that these things have something to give us apart from Christ. So Jesus goes on, listen to this story. I love this part of the story. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So this guy, he, like in the story, he has this phenomenal idea. Here's what I'm going to do. Break down my barns, build bigger ones, store everything so that I can take life easy. So that I can just sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. Aren't you guys a little bit confused? And, and, and I, and I, I want to, like, we, we challenge um, the younger folk in this congregation a lot. But friends, this is the epitome of the American retiree who just builds this 401k and then just spends the next 20 years doing nothing. It's like, it's like waiting. May we be people that, that are living life all the way up to the end, just so honed into... I mean, this is, this is the image of, of, just a, of an easy life. I'm pretty sure that when Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, like, I'm, maybe I'm confused, but there's nothing easy about that. Like, just the thoughts of building possessions so that I can gain comfort. Like, friends, like that is the opposite of what Christ has called us to. Over and over in the Scriptures, if we are to be Christ-like, we are to suffer. Now, again, for each of us, suffering may mean different things. For some of us, it may be literally the call of our life to be a, a martyr. But if you're not called to give up your life in the in the physical and be killed, I know this for sure, that each of us are called to be living martyrs. Each of us are called to take the, the, the significance of the cross so seriously, friends, that we don't look at this life as the pursuit so that we can just eat, drink, be merry, and take life easy. Friends, listen. This is strange. This is strange. But personally, like many of you and like many in our culture, I'm attracted to things that are a little bit harder. Any of you? I'm going to go on a diet in 2008. So many of you will understand this. I'm not going to drink Mountain Dew for an entire year. Okay? No, no, it, does, it, it doesn't stop there. I'm not going to eat pizza for the ent- entire 2008. For those of you that know me very well, those are my two vices. But I, you know what? I was like, no, like I have to take it a step further. I'm not going to eat French fries. For the entire 2008, like, like strangely, strangely, I'm like attracted to the difficulty of this diet. I'm like, this is, is going to be insane. Am I crazy? I mean, I went to Quick Trip tonight and got a Mountain Dew at six o'clock. You know what I mean? Like, this is going to be, but, but somehow, strangely, I'm attracted to things that are difficult. That's why many of you who are athletes, even though you hate two-a-days and the conditioning, when you look back on it, you're like, man, like that really built to me. And so friends, what if... What if we stopped believing that for the culture to see us as Christians, what if they started seeing us suffering with great purpose? Do you think maybe the culture would say, man, like that's something worth dying for. And I, like I could see myself signing up for that. 
Instead, we get this image in our mind that we have to portray Christianity as this thing that is easy and just welcoming. And so that's why when many people get saved, they're, they're, they're accepting Christ with this image of God is good and he's great. And he'll take away all of your sins instead of Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you don't do that, you have no part of me. Where is that teaching? It's hard, friends, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so for those of us in here who are just like, give me, give me more. Give me more, right? Like just keep bringing the possessions because I believe that that there's life in them so that I can just sit back and live my entire life easily. Friends, that is anti-cross. That is anti-cross. The cross says, follow me as I suffered. I did the work. Don't misunderstand. It's not that we have to take up our cross so that we can earn our salvation. It's that he's called us to follow him. And to follow him means to deny self, take up cross, and go unafraid. Verse 20. Remember, this is a uh, parable. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Isn't this awesome? In the parable, all of a sudden, this gets really poignant. All of a sudden, you have no more life. God kills you. Then what of the barns? Then what of all the possessions? Listen, then what of all the things that you thought would give you life? Like, what then? What do you have? You have a dead body and a dead soul, friends. Like, what about all, what about all the things that all, all, all your entire life, and, and Scripture says that our life is but a mist. What about all the things that you thought would give you something more and would give, would give you this great amount of life? Like, what happens when you die? Where does it go? No, well, well it, it, gets, it gets passed down from generation. No, 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 that's not what the story is saying. The story is saying that, that he built bigger barns so that he could sit back, be, be merry and drink and just enjoy an easy life. Friends, you will take nothing with you. Nothing. Like none of it is. Oh, but God, you don't understand. Like, like if you would have seen my plasma, come on, God, you would have been impressed. Like I know you made it and all. It was like 62 inch, you know. I mean, you could literally like, you just felt like you were there when you were playing NCAA 8 on the Xbox. I mean, it was just perfect, you know. Or when you're watching Oprah, her clarity of face was just awesome, you know. No. Like he, he sees and goes right through that. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he closes up with an amazing verse. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? Jason gave us an amazing definition as we began tonight. What does it mean to be rich toward God? I was thinking in in preparing for this message, just that God creates all these things for His glory and His purpose, right? Somehow, we've even been wrestling with That he's created evil so that he can conquer it. That sin is allowed so that the cross can be victorious. And so I started thinking about money. Uh, Can you guys just get out your dollar bill for a second? I started thinking about this. I was like, okay, so like why money? Like why one day just be like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create this system even back to like the early people. that, That you just make some currency 
And, and somehow it buys things and somehow it, it, it can get you something. Like I, I started wrestling with this question, like, all right, God, like why money? Why create this? And then I remembered the psalmist. Listen to this. Then I remembered the psalmist saying, I'm poor and needy. Listen. Up for me before I accepted Christ. I had no inheritance. I had no life. Listen, I had absolutely nothing to live for. I was completely depraved, desolate, desperate. Christ comes into my life. Listen. And I go from having nothing, from having no inheritance, from having nothing to live for. Listen, does the scripture saying being a co-heir with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God? Pre-Christ, I have nothing. Poor and needy, in desperate need. Christ comes in and all of a sudden... I'm a co-heir in the greatest kingdom ever. Like what? Like it, it goes from one extreme to the other. I mean, you, you have absolutely nothing. And then through Christ, you have everything. It's the gospel. It's your needy, desperate, desolate. Christ comes and then you're a co-heir with him. Does that not, does that not just get some of you excited that somehow you can go from poor and needy to having the greatest inheritance ever? And so then I started thinking about this. And I started thinking about God's grace. And I started thinking about the means of grace that we as Christians have opportunities to share and show the world what His grace looks like. And friends, I believe. That his money, his money, his possessions are one of the greatest ways that we can reflect the grace of God, period. Well, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. A needy family comes and they have nothing. I mean, they have no food. They have no, I mean, they have no place to live. They have, they have nothing. And all of a sudden a group of people get together and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's... Like, look, like you don't need to, th- this is nothing, this is only because he first loved us. Here's, here's some food, money, and here's a place to live. And here's some clothes and some, some other things to kind of help you get your feet back on the ground. And here, not just that, but we want a journey with you. We want to love you. We want to, we want to get to know you. Like, we don't just want to, to, to smack you on the back and say good luck. Like, we want to pray over you. We want to know how we can help. We want to help see if we can help you find jobs. We like, we want to, we want to show you. A reflection of the grace of God. And for that family, for that family, they're getting a picture just like you did when you accepted Christ. They're getting a picture of what it is to be poor and needy, desperate and desolate. And then all of a sudden have this random group of people say, you know what? We love you because he first loved us here. Here, take, take. What can we give you? What, what can we provide for you? But here's the reality. Friends, how much how much money, how many dollars do you have in excess right now to be able to do that? Have you purchased a house? Thinking in your mind, how will God be able to use this house? How can I open spaces and rooms so that when there, maybe there's a family in need, I can, I'll be able to put them there. Maybe there's a college student or maybe there's a Lindenwood a foreign exchange student who needs a place to stay that I can put them up. Listen, if we're spending more than we're making... Then you guys understand that the problem? 
What we're doing is we're saying, you know what, God, I know that, that our resources are a phenomenal way to show the world your grace, but I don't care. Like, I, I, like I want more because I, that's what I need. And he's like, you know what I need? I need you to be obedient. I need you to love me and to love people and do whatever it takes to be a reflection of me to the world. Many of you guys are in houses that you can't afford. Whoa, 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 but, but, but we need this. I'm not, I'm not, you have to discern that. Each of you, many of you, spend like three, four, five, six dollars on pointless things every day just because it's your routine. Like you have never stopped to think, listen, you've never stopped to think down to the dollar, how am I spending his money? It's easy for us when we, when we gain $5,000. Like all of a sudden we win the lottery. I'm not condoning the lottery. I'm not not condoning the lottery. I don't know what I feel about the lottery. All right, listen. So you win $5,000, okay? And it's really easy at that point to say, oh, yes, $5,000. Well, are all the TV stations watching? Listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give, obviously, 1000 to the church, 1500 here, and I'll keep a, a couple thousand. It's so easy and big chunks of money to do that. But what about the dollar? What happens when every dollar of his that we spend... We're thinking about how this dollar is being used missionally. Even down to going to Quick Trip at 6 o'clock on a Wednesday night. And in my mind thinking, you know what? I'm just thirsty. I need, of course, my heavenly nectar. So I'm going to buy a Mountain Dew. Even things like that. I stopped tonight before I bought that Mountain Dew. I was like, like, what, like, what am I? Like, is this something that I need? Or is this just something that I want? What happens when Christians... Stop spending more than they're making. What happens when we're able to, to open up funds everywhere so that the, the poor and the needy can be shown the grace of God through our possessions? Because we believe that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so for us, like this, it's just about giving it away. How can I free up more dollars so that I can give more away? How can I free up more dollars so I'm actually tithing to the community where I'm, where, I'm, where I'm journeying with? Which many of you struggle with as well. Oh, he talked about tithe. This is one of those churches. You know what? We talk about it because Jesus does. Friends, what happens when all of a sudden you're like, no, no, no. This dollar is so important to me because it's his. Not just the 5,000 chunks, but the 100 pennies. What happens when we start walking around making critical decisions based upon the poor and needy seeing the grace of God? And if we aren't, then we're just saying, like, I, I don't care about reflecting your grace. Because all I want to be is rich toward me so that I can sit back, take life easy, drink and be merry. And Jesus says, like, that is not me. That's not me. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? It means to understand that he plants the seed, that he grows the tree, that he bears the fruit. And when we are seeking after him, realizing that we're poor and needy in desperate need of him, Timothy says in 1 Timothy, that, that we just be all of a sudden begin, just the fruit just keeps coming. And our riches 
are storing up, like First Timothy says, treasures in heaven instead of bringing greed, like Colossians chapter 3, 5 says, is idolatry and one of the acts of the sinful nature that Colossians said we should put to death. So what happens when all of a sudden the fruit, he just keeps bearing it and he just keeps pruning us. And like you can't, you can't put that fruit in some, in some silo. Like it's just, it's just being shown to the world and all of it is focused towards him. We don't want a single dollar for our own, for our own pursuits at all. We don't. Our heart changes so much that we begin to see this dollar as something that can be used for the purpose and call of who he is. Now, I'm not, I'm not calling you guys. Like the message isn't, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go. All right, honey. Uh, we got to sell the house tonight. Okay? Like we, man. I'm not saying that you should do that, but I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm not saying that that each of you should just go out now and just like, what I am saying is that we as Christians have to discern down to the dollar. And we're not. We're spending more than we're making and we're in debt over our heads. And because of that, listen, we're not able to reflect the grace of God to the world. Oh, you want to you understand about the grace of God? Yeah, yeah. Here, here's, let, me, let me just show you what that looks like. Because for me, I was poor and needy, had nothing, and now through Christ, I have the greatest inheritance ever. Let me show you what that looks like on the physical sense. Jesus said, I've come to preach the message to the who? To the poor, because they're desperate, they'll understand, and I want to reflect, even in the physical, what my grace will look like. And so disciples, he says, go out and preach the message to the poor. Because they will be desperate. They have nothing else besides me. My friends, church, it's time tonight to realize how poor you really are so that down to the dollar we can discern what we're to do with God's money. As we begin to respond here, I'm just going to ask you to spend a couple moments, minutes, just holding this dollar in your hand. Looking at it, you may notice it says in God we trust on the back kind of funny, isn't it? It seems like a paradox. And God, we trust. So here, let me just keep gaining stuff for myself. And God, we trust. And God, we trust. Some of you tonight, listen, some of you tonight will need to make drastic life changes. And I'm like, I'm like, why, why shouldn't we get hardcore? Some of you tonight will need to sell cars. And, and it just all comes down to what he's calling you to do. Just be obedient. That's what each of us can do. Some of you need to cut out the daily coffee. Some of you need to cut out the daily Mountain Dew. Some of you need to cut out the eating out. Some of you need to stop hoarding and start making sure that you're giving the excess and the abundance away so that we can reflect the grace of God before you leave tonight. This is an an act of remembrance. I'm going to ask that you'll drop this dollar in the joy box, which is in the back. It's our way here in Matthias of just sharing our tithes and our offerings. Before you leave, please don't take this with you. Before you leave, as, as your last act of remembrance before you walk out of here, make this drop in the joy box as a commitment, as a covenant to God, this is yours. And friends, pray for us here in Matthias's lot that we would be a church that truly does love Him 
and love His. That we take seriously the money that comes into this community. Pray for us as a church that we be able to do that, friends. Let's just pray together. Father, I, I ask for the conviction of Your Holy Spirit to drop on this audience tonight on me that you'll show us the ways that we are just hoarding things that we think we need and then by doing that we're we're diminishing opportunities to reflect your grace i pray lord jesus that you reform us this church i pray that we will not look like the culture I pray that we will go against the culture in this area. I pray that we will, God, I pray that we will have money in our savings account. That we'll have excess possessions and homes that can, that can house people. God, I pray that you will call each of us tonight to be obedient to the call in our life. It's not some life just so that we can just gain up and, and take life easy. It is a life about suffering and learning what it looks like to be more like you. God, tonight, teach us what to do with your money.